There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Let Me Introduce Myself. This is a podcast where every episode I talk to a new guest about an aspect of their life. This episode I am lucky enough to be joined by Neil Kennedy. Neil is a music producer and host of the Content From The Ranch podcast. As you may or may not know I am a great consumer of music and I had a lot of fun chatting to Neil about music production and the bands he has produced. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I am privileged today to be joined by Neil Kennedy, who is a music producer, a podcast host and a very interesting person. So I'm very <laughs> happy to be joined with him. How are you doing, Neil? I'm pretty good. Yeah, thanks for that great intro. I feel feel fantastic already. I'm very excited to talk to you about what you do because I have always really been into music for the longest time since I was very young, mm-hmm. but I have equally been cursed by the complete inability of having any musical talent (laughs) um so i'm absolutely fascinated into the to the kind of thing that goes into what you do as your day job having given you a little bit of a sneak preview to everybody as to who you are and what you do i Mm -hmm. wondered if you wanted to start by introducing yourself sure yeah i'll have a go so yeah my name is neil kennedy my main career is as a producer so some people might know might not know the kind of like specific role the producer is because there's a few things that kind of get muddled in so you have like recording engineer mixer producer the producer i always have the analogy it's a bit like the director of a movie um i kind of like work with the client to kind of get a vision of what it is they want to capture and then it's my kind of job to try and sort of realize their their that vision so and that that could be by either me doing everything recording it mixing it the whole thing or it could be me kind of finding the right person to engineer it or mix the project or or so on and so forth but nine times out of ten it will be uh, me kind of working either alongside another engineer to record everything and then and then i'd mix it as well that's my normal job Uh, alongside that i also uh, i run my own studio so that's kind of like another job yeah (laughs) and um (laughs) yeah that, that is a big job in itself and um it's a it's a really cool studio and a few other well-known um, engineers in that kind of producers in the kind of world of uk rock music uh hardcore metal or that kind of stuff use it as their base we've been privileged to have some incredible bands come and work with us over the last couple of years some some of the sort of bigger names in that kind of uk rock scene uh yeah so it keeps me busy that's me i've i've got i've already gone off topic and forgotten what the no, question was you've answered it perfectly that's exactly <laughs> what i wanted you to do a little bit cool. of introduction about what you do um so that we can take it for that i'm definitely gonna come back to the studio and the people cool. you've worked okay. with later on mm-hmm. kind of wanted to start with and i do this with all the guests that i've had so far is, is kind of unpacking your journey a little bit so into where you are today without going too deep and stuff but I was just wondering how you got into music production because it's not your everyday job um certainly when I was at school it was very hard to do any kind of learning on that kind of thing although I know we're moving in a different direction currently yeah I think it's I think it's a bit different now actually my weirdly my side hustle is that I lecture 
a day or so a week at university. And that's just in music production. My kind of background is, yeah, wannabe musician. That was kind of like always my dream since I was a kid. I wanted to play rock guitar and my favourite my favorite bands as a kid were like Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden and Nirvana wow. and all that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to do that. And I somehow ended up in a band that didn't sound like any of those and were pretty crap. But um, it kind of got me into playing shows, touring the country. Um, I'm missing a big step, actually, but, but I did like learn the guitar when I was a, started learning guitar when I was about 10. Okay. Uh, 10 or 11, which was cool because my dad, my dad was like a, he really wanted to be a guitarist when he was a kid. So he kind of lived vicariously through me learning. And so he was always like super into the idea like, of me playing guitar, me you know playing rock music and that kind of stuff. So one Christmas, I think, I'd been writing songs as a 12, 13-year-old, which were obviously terrible. But I, I, wanted, I wanted a way of recording them. And this is way before Logic or anything was easy to have at home. So he bought me a four-track tape machine, like a little cassette recorder. That's so cool. Which is very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's super cool. And uh, that's kind of a running theme in my life. I've been incredibly fortunate and privileged that my my folks, especially my dad, have been like super supportive, supportive of me wanting to do something in the music industry, which is not something everyone has. And I mm. sort of count my blessings all the time that that, that was the situation. Um, so yeah, that's how I started was recording incredibly bad songs in my bedroom on a on a cassette recorder essentially the next step was he brought back a a decent computer one day and i i found some copy of magic's music maker and started making drum and bass so that was a left field decision <laughs> uh, but i started making drum and bass and then yeah didn't do that for too long yeah essentially got into the being in a band touring the country playing every nook and cranny of the country really and then hating it horribly just didn't enjoy it in the slightest hated being in a band hated touring all the stuff that you're supposed to love i absolutely hated so my question because <laughs> you've told me that you hated it i'm gonna ask for a few more details about your yeah, band, okay, that's, that's sure. what I do. <laughs> okay um, um, but what kind of so what kind of band was this what kind of music did you play it was it was um so this would have been 2003 or 4 and it was pop rock pop punk of that era so okay. not not the kind of pop punk you think of now but a bit more dookie or or that kind of thing i guess moving into the emo world the the sort of so would you have played with bands like uncle brian and captain everything oh absolutely yep all of them <laughs> yeah um so the band i mean I, they were called not katie's I don't know. If, oh, you were uh, in Not Gaze? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen you a couple of times. <laughs> oh, no way, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah, we, we were, luckily, we weren't very good, but um, we were all really good friends and really had a great shared experience, apart from the bit that I didn't actually like being in a band. <laughs> Basically, when I left, I sold my car and bought some recording equipment again and just started okay. making demos of my own stuff and... And then next thing I knew, I was sort of fishing for somewhere to basically blag bands to come and record with me. And it was a real like crossroads in my life. So I must have been you know, 23 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to figure out what it is you wanted to do with your life. And I was working at this point in a guitar shop, um, which is not a career per se. Um, guitar shops. Yeah quite hard to like maintain and make a living from so i was like you know i really want to record bands that's what i want to do i've always loved recording i love music i love bands i've got a lot i can bring to it if only i knew a how to do it and uh, b had a place so eventually i came across um this rehearsal studio in southampton which is where i live called planet sounds mm. which was under a bridge very rock and roll under a bridge it's run by this lovely dude called tim betts who now is responsible for uh, another Southampton legendary place, um, The Joiners. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's one of the co-owners of The Joiners. Basically, I met this guy, super nice bloke. We got on like a house on fire immediately. And I, I kind of said, hey, what are you doing in that room there? There's nothing in that room. Can I hire that room off you? And yeah. So I set up a studio in his practice room, paid my dues there. And sort of that was the start of the journey of it becoming my actual career. That's such a interesting story and actually makes a lot of sense in a, in a kind of odd way in that you i'm glad of... it when i look back on it it's so <laughs> by the seat of my pants i literally didn't think any of this shit through i just thought right yeah there's a room that, that'll do i'll make a start so you said you got to the pivotal point where you decided to change your focus mm. but you didn't know how to do it yeah how did you learn how to do it? Was it just on the job? Was it through practice? Was, so, did you have any kind of taught tuition? 
No, I didn't have any talk to it. I'd, I'd sort of had the experience of making shit demos in my bedroom, yeah. uh, making drum and bass on my dad's PC. <laughs> and then um, when, I, when I left the band, I started recording my own stuff at, at home. So I knew, I think the, the main thing is the technology is not at the, at the basic level. You point it at what you want to record and hit record. And that's going to work. How well it works depends on, you know, eventually the position, the sound, the room, all that kind of stuff. But at, at a very reductive level, that will work. So I think the assets I had were things like people skills. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at making people feel relaxed and comfortable and good about what they're doing. And uh, I've got an ear so I can hear like where harmonies would be good, where melodies could change, how you could work on an arrangement, all those kind of skills, which are more valuable to a producer than knowing every single tip and trick of using your, you know, your recording system. I think having a bit of confidence and having had the experience of being a touring musician, I was dealing very much with new bands that were going to practice rooms for the first time. So I'd be like, hey, song sounded great. Let's cut a demo kind of thing um and yeah i was shit without a doubt <laughs> uh, probably commensurate with the how bad the bands were but you know as, as the bands got better i got better and uh, and then sort of grew in confidence with what i was doing and 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 the kind of my skills as sort of having an understanding of song and how things should sound and that kind of began to meet up with the technical aspect of it probably being empathetic empathetic even like you said is a really important skill because the people you're working with need to feel comfortable to fail don't they in, in your presence oh, yeah. and i think if you're not warm to them if you're not open to that process then actually it stops that creativity yeah absolutely one thing i've kind of i always try and put forward to, to anyone i'm working with believe me i i have made a worse noise than you're going to make <laughs> at some point in my life my career as a musician i guarantee i've screwed up worse than you're about to um and so it doesn't really matter if you make a mistake because you know we're all kind of we're all working towards things sounding as good as they can and sort of that that kind of vision and i think what i think when people realize that you're on their side and we all want the same thing we all want it to sound good that works best for everybody you know they're, they're going to get more shows i'm going to get people coming and want to work with me because that band sounded good so that that kind of yeah there's i think there's a very strong that for me i hear anecdotally about producers that are like do it again that was terrible god what's wrong with you you're talentless all that kind of stuff and if that works for them then cracking but i'd never <laughs> never take that approach I, i'm very much on the like hey we're, we're in this together kind of school it's almost a boot camp mentality that kind of that's not good enough do it again yeah i mean it definitely will work for some people absolutely definitely i've had people that like to be challenged and i've had people that the minute you say we could do we could do that better they have like a nervous breakdown so you know there's there's definitely more than one way to to skin the proverbial it's just for, for me it works best to lean into being nice <laughs> yeah i think it would work for me as well i mean i'm I'm no i'm not a producer i haven't got no musical yet i know what i like but i wouldn't be able to help you with any of that but i i'd be the same i take the same approach to you as you to to the bands because i feel like it's just more conducive to more to 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 more productivity but i yeah, also I, I can also see that some people do respond to that kind of stick mentality i guess yeah I, they're definitely out there i mean I, I would be lying if i hadn't ever said you know come on we can do better than that or you know used used a bit more stick than carrot but um yeah i'm, I'm mainly carrot first but some people love you know sounds like i'm talking about something else now but yeah, some people love the stick <laughs> <laughs> so who was the first band that you worked with or the first record that you worked on that you want to name <laughs> okay the first one i want to name. i'm trying to remember the first band i couldn't tell you now um so i there's a few bands i worked with in my this was obviously my first studio was was had compromises it wasn't mm. it, it wasn't really a recording studio it was like i said it was under a bridge it was more like where a troll would live than <laughs> you know you'd make great records but there's a couple of bands from southampton in this period 2000 probably probably in 2006 or seven or something now there's a band called dead 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 mm -hmm. who were very trendy indie rock that kind of like raucous a little bit in the vein of modest mouse but punked up okay like post-punk very cool and they were brilliant that that is no wonder that's not me exaggerating it they were brilliant and i managed to basically chat them up enough to come and do a track or two with me and it's 
very it, they were great and it was a really good session and became very good friends with them and did work with them sort of on other projects as as time went on i did a song called oh god <laughs> i can't remember what it's called uh something about the water sharks i think it might have been called but it was a really good song and it got some radio one airplay and that, oh, that was the awesome. first time yeah first time i had something i'd done on radio one and it was a real buzz uh, as a producer because i definitely sort of helped produce it and i like at this time i was obsessed with um at the drive-in or mars volta one of those nice yeah. like we should really aim for this super raucous like you're kind of you know kicking the mics over in the room kind of vibe and and um yeah so that was great and then the band i think that my first kind of proper passion project the one that i sort of went above and beyond and threw myself into and the first one i'd probably say was like i fully produced this yeah uh, it's definitely the first i remember there were others before but a band called burn the fleet who weren't a big band but mm -hmm. they should have been they were unquestionably at that time the best band i'd seen and best band i'd worked with and i put a lot of time and energy into we did it we did an ep together like a early on and we became really tight while we did that and then i was like we should do an album this is you know we should really like do something spectacular and pull out all the stops and and get noticed and i definitely held up my side of the bargain <laughs> uh, I, i'm still very good friends with them and they would be the first to admit that they just didn't put the energy in required you know they, they weren't willing to put the graft with their undoubted talents yeah. um so that, that's one of those kind of reflecting on where i am now like mm. why that band went enormous is beyond me who they put were. out the ep a label called walnut tree yeah i thought it was a walnut tree record i think i have that cd upstairs really yeah. so my my other band i've i've done a few bands since my since not katie's yeah. and one of them was a band called viva sleep yes yeah and that was on walnut tree yeah no yeah. I, was, I, I again for want <laughs> of a better world, phrase i had a, a sort of brief online relationship with tom the guy that was not like oh, an actual relationship, Tom, but like as in we were talking, yeah. Oh, he's a lovely guy. Um, really nice guy. And we, yeah. I used to get, I got all the, I think I got like the first batch of stuff that he put out on release date, like obsessively as if it was like my new little thing. So I, I yeah. definitely would have come across it. The name rang a bell, but I didn't want to go, oh yeah, was that on Walnut Tree Records? Yeah, it, like, no, it was, wrong band. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Tom's a really nice guy. Um, and like I said, we did, a, the, the band I did was called Viva Sleep and it was me and... Um, me and a few other guys who are actually producers. Like one of them's a producer, and one of them's a, like a composer and stuff. So we were all real nerdy, <laughs> and we just wanted to not not show off because I could, I definitely can't show off. But um, the guitarist and, and uh, bassist and drummer could definitely show off. So it's just a big show off project, really, real like ego trip kind of thing. Sometimes um, it's nice to do those. Kind it was of super. Things, we had, yeah, we we didn't have any intent to do anything other than shred about and have fun because why not we had a recording studio we could use so um so yeah burn the fleet uh, the modern shape is definitely a record that i that i would say this was my my first real foray at like putting my flagpole in the ground saying here i am this is my production skills and then no one heard it I did. I definitely, I've definitely, <laughs> definitely got it upstairs. I, cool. It's just, I've, there's so many CDs upstairs, but no I have doubt. definitely got it upstairs. So that's cool. <laughs> so in um, your early days of producing, yes, what was the, sort of the first big lesson that you learned as a producer? Oh, so the, <laughs> um, the, first, <laughs> the first lesson I learned was probably do some research before you spend £4,000. Okay. <laughs> um, because I, yeah, like I said, I sold my car which gave me a net total of four grand. Uh, I think like, I think I sold my car for like five grand, but I needed another car. So I bought a G-Reg uh, 205 GTI nice. and uh, <laughs> spent four grand on recording equipment that I had no idea what I was buying. So I assumed we need, I needed a desk mm -hmm. and I assumed I needed, and I just basically, you know, pissed away four grand start up on a bunch of gear that, I mean, I've still got an SM57 that I bought. That's that's it from that from that initial purchase. So yeah, doing some research is the first lesson I learned. <laughs> After that, yeah, I don't know really. What about in terms of with the, with the bands, like the process of recording? Was there anything that sort of stuck out where you were like, "Oh, I'm not going to do that again," or "I'll do that differently next time"? Uh, so one thing I learned, and it took me a while, and I think this is something that all engineers producers kind of learn is that just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's the right idea that I, how if you're so if you're working with an artist and mm. 
for I'm working with an artist and I think, oh, I tell you what would be really good here is, is a guitar part that did this. So for a long time, I would think that is the right idea. That is the idea that they should be using. And if they disagreed or they want to do something else, well, they were wrong because my idea is my idea. So it's the right one. It's kind of like one of those growing up moments when you think, actually, you know what? Not every idea I have is the right one. Not every idea I have is perfect. Um, so it's just kind of, that makes me sound like I was a big egotist and forced people to do all, all the things I wanted them to do, but which wasn't the case. But I mean, it definitely happened at some point. I would, I'd have not bullied, but strongly suggested they did this instead of that. And yeah, so I think learning that it's about it's about developing a relationship between producer and artist. There's not a, a delineation between those two things. They interact, and it, you get the best results when you kind of like let people bounce their ideas off you a little bit rather than say well i know best do this i guess it's finding that happy medium between the two as well isn't it? that just coexistence <laughs> yeah well i mean there's some days i have to put on the hat where it's like if we're going to get this done you're going to have to take my lead yeah. and there's some days where i don't really have to do anything because the you know the artist has a has a very powerful vision and they can get there it's just i'm the conduit they're going to need to to get that kind of existed that into existence mm. so yeah it's, i think learning learning those kind of things on the job is the only way you can do it you can't be pre-prepared for working with 20 different artists over no, and I think 20 different weeks it would be it would be a strange thing to teach as well wouldn't it because you'd be presuming that everybody reacts and acts in the same way which yeah they don't so yeah there's i mean being that i occasionally have an involvement structuring university course i have a few times tried to suggest like we could probably do something on bedside manner, like how you talk to people, yeah. how, you know, but it's really hard to teach that. And it, it's really hard, you know, unless you have like, right, we're going to bring in five people blind and you're going to have to work with them and deal with their neuroses and skill sets and peccadillos and all that kind of stuff. Like you, you only learn it by experiencing it. That would be an invaluable lesson, though. I feel like that would be something yeah. that just would be well worth the tuition fees just I'll tell you what you just get I, that practice don't you then if case. i could bring in some of the clients i've worked with over the years and be like right deal with this see you later i'll be back in an hour yeah it would be, it would be a hell of a yeah definitely worth the tuition fee so how did you get from recording under a bridge to the point where you have your own studio <laughs> so recording under a bridge to recording on a farm yeah <laughs> um so i worked with a band called uh xavier floyd firebird who were southampton slash london hipster indie rock band that just happened to forge a really good relationship with because they were lovely just a couple of really really nice people um and we made a record together in my studio under the bridge and they had a rehearsal space that they had basically built themselves so they'd long talked about this kind of rehearsal room they had where they'd found a farm out in the middle of nowhere and um chatted up the landlady to let them have a practice room there and as long as they soundproofed it kind of thing and one day um, they shared it with a band called The Delays. I don't know if that yes. ring a bell. Yeah, they do. Yep. Yeah, so they actually had a top 10 album and they, they did all right. And I know um, one of them ended up being on things like um, 8 Out of 10 Cats and mm. stuff like that. It was a bit of a celebrity. They're, they're, again, they're Southampton-based and they're lovely, lovely guys. Um, so in the shared practice room, one day the, the unit next to that became available. So Danny from the band Xavier Floyd Firebird basically just called me up saying, hey, look, this unit's become available. You should have a look because it'd be maybe a cool place to get you out from under the bridge and make your own studio. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was cool. It was it was maybe smaller than I wanted, but it was affordable. And that was a key thing. Uh, at the time, I'd been talking to a few other producers about possibly doing studio share, like finding a place together. So I was close friends with a few other guys and one of them had kind of moved to devon and had floated the idea of maybe me using his studio space but it was in devon yeah. and that wasn't really going to happen um and one was this chap called um jeff swan who was he was from salisbury so it's not too far from southampton but basically this space was almost halfway between where i lived and where he lived right okay. and i said hey you know i found a space might be cool to share it and he kind of ummed and ahed and eventually came in on it so we built the studio together and myself and Jeff, and then we had the problem of trying to like figure out who worked on what day yeah. and having a schedule. It was not a disaster. It was it worked really well. Basically, it just took a while to figure out how it worked. That's good to hear because so many times in that kind of situation, you're just like, yeah, and it didn't work. <laughs> no, well, 
I think for a few weeks we basically both turned up to every session because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know like there wasn't like a pecking order there wasn't like a well they want to work with me they want to work with you kind of thing and then but it became it kind of balanced out so Jeff would bring in bands that wanted to work with him and I'd bring in bands that wanted to work with me and then when the emails were coming in we'd be like you know I'll take this one you take that one kind of thing and share it out because at that point we weren't really pushing ourselves as producers we were pushing ourselves as having a recording studio mm like an all-in-one shop kind of thing we did that and then we had this this guy that i'd had as a i wouldn't say intern but like work experiences this young chap called lewis johns who had done who had been to my studio under the bridge and sort of helped out for a week or two so he left his he left his course which is sae up in london the sound engineering course in london and he had big designs to be you know a producer so he came and helped out the studio for a month uh, we paid his travel basically to come and work at the studio and he just seemed like he had the right attitude so basically the delays broke up and we nicked a key <laughs> to start started letting ourselves in their practice room and uh expanded into it when no one was looking essentially so um yeah we basically took over my friend's unit because he wasn't using it so much and the delays split up and stuff so we basically snuck our way into an extra space and and found a way to run two studios at the same time i'm presuming they knew about this i don't need to delete this bit out of the <laughs> no. episode, no. well i mean it it's way way past the statute of limitations <laughs> on that one i'm afraid delays so um yeah we've still we found a box of their merchandise in there so there's photos of my friends wearing like youth skinny t-shirt <laughs> delay t-shirts and stuff like that so we yeah we expanded into that room and as that kind of generated a bit more money, Lewis could bring in projects and the three of us started doing this kind of thing. It started getting better and better. And then eventually we were like, you know what we really need is a cool live room. We need like a unique selling point because we've got this little studio. It sounds fine, but what we need is a cool recording studio where people turn up and go, holy crap, that looks amazing. So, And it does um, look amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I kind of go to... The end of the story. <laughs> the end of the story, yeah. I go into work sometimes and I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. I can't believe I, you know, I was helped to do this. Uh, so yeah, we basically, on the farm, one of the big units became available and it was a shithole. It was just a shell, but it was empty. So we could basically take it on and we built a live room inside it. So it's basically, from the outside, it just looks like a shack, like a big farm shack um, <laughs> which is cool it's unassuming like no yeah. one knows it's really there but when you open the door it's like this amazing you know the acoustically designed cool live room with loads of natural light in it and it's double height ceilings and there's wood everywhere it looks cool like it looks it, really I, cool i just yeah. recommend anybody that's listening to this to just pause it at this point go to the uh, instagram page have a look at some of the photos it's unreal yeah, it's a really, really lovely space. But So we took that on. And the next th- few years is us basically taking over more and more units on the farm as they become available, which which kind of meant, you know, because we were kind of like getting, we were making better, better records. Yeah. Um, we were getting bigger and bigger bands. And it's kind of followed a, a pretty reasonable linear trajectory from day one at that studio. Where we are now, so Jeff... There's just he, you know, he he left the studio to just be a really successful pop mixer. He basically got an opportunity to work with an elite level mixer, a guy called Spike Stent. Right, who, okay. uh, for example, Coldplay, you know, wow. Madonna. We're talking mega, mega, mega stuff, and he was offered the chance to be his assistant. So he kind of, on the best terms possible, distanced himself from the studio to go and do this. Yeah, we're he still don't super, turn that kind of thing down, really. No, absolutely <laughs> not, and. It could not happen to a nicer guy. He's literally the the best guy I've ever met in my life. So the fact that he's, you know, it's gone well for him is just something I'm super, super happy about. And, you know, we're still very, very close friends. And, you know, it's just for a while we would be recording some band from, you know, Hull or something. And he'd be like, hey, hey, uh, Noel Gallagher's here today. Uh, I'll tell him you said hello, you know. Or he'd be like, I've got to go. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's in the background. It's, wow. you know, it's just stuff like that. And we were just like, what is going on? <laughs> this crazy kind of existence. Um, but yeah, so he now does his own thing. He, yeah, Charlie XCX is one of his big clients. And well, yeah, that is he's big. Just, yeah, it's, big, it's really big. And yeah, he's, he's Grammy nominated as a uh, as an en- as assistant engineer on 
um, on a couple of records. So it's gone super well for him. We're mega proud of him. And yeah, it kind of, re- I mean, we're basking in the reflected glow of his success, basically. Why not? <laughs> but, you know, I know secretly he loves Pantera more than he loves the Charlie XCX. So <laughs> who's the real winner there? I do feel um, like that's often the case, though, isn't it? Like all the big producers and uh, like pop producers and their their actual music that they like is very different to what they produce to make their living, though. No? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the real money is not in making rock music. Yeah. Uh, rock, rock, you can see there's there's plenty of data out there to show you trends on what music sells and what music doesn't. Rock music's been consistent, but it's again, it's been like a consistent linear drop from the 60s and 70s, yeah. where uh, where it was at its absolute peak. Stayed big in the in the um, 80s, no doubt about it. In the 90s, it was. You had things like grunge, which sold, you know, the grunge move sort of vibe, sold tons of records. And then it just starts trending down. I mean, it stayed consistent. There's still money in there. There's still, like, people want to buy and listen to and go and see rock music. But, I mean, the music industry is, uh, as far as I can tell, like a bunch of people spinning plates. Yeah. Um, so who knows what's going to come next. But it, guitar music kind of has stayed around and it won't disappear but it doesn't take the big share like pop music does. No. So if you want to make money, it's got to be in it's got to be in pop music. Yeah. Or if you're in the states, country music can still make you an absolute fortune. Or, or and hip hop will you know like that kind of I I kind of put that under pop. Yeah, and so, I think it's it's the lack of instrumentation potentially links it to the same world maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not about catching capturing a performance of musicians. It's no. about building something that makes you want to move. Mm. Um, which more often than not does actually have um, instrumentation in there. It's yeah. just you know manipulated beyond recognition. Yeah, that was definitely me in layman terms there. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I, I've totally forgotten what I was talking about. So no, that's, that's where perfect. that's where we are now. We have a so there's a there's a big big old live room that's our like recording room, mm-hmm. um, main recording room, and then there's a, a studio. So that we call the Black Lodge because we're all obsessed with Twin Peaks. Nice. So we refer to that as the Black Lodge. And then there's the ranch, which is the original building. Um, and that's kind of like our, our Studio B, but it's also my mix room. Okay. And then there's another room, which is Lewis John's uh, private mix studio. And then there's some basically accommodation there. So, you know, cause we have bands coming from all over um, Europe. And like, this sounds like I'm a brag, but I mean, it's not because we're still scrabbling around for every 50B we can find. But, you know, I worked with a band from, um, I had a band from, Tel Aviv come over and they're wow. coming back to do almost a month um, later in the year. We've worked with bands from Canada. Um, we've mixed, you know, between Lou and I, we've mixed bands from pretty much all over Eastern Europe. So I guess um, having that accommodation on hand is really important for what you do. It's invaluable, yeah, because the nearest, we are kind of in the sticks, yeah. but there is a Premier Premier Inn around the corner or, you know, one of those travel tavern kind of vibes. But um I mean, that's like still, if you've got five people in a band, that's going to cost you 150 yeah, quid a night. And people can't afford that. And people that are at the level we work at, which is the, the, the place we position ourselves, is at the point where you kind of transition from being underground to overground. That's yeah. that's where we want to, that's where I want to be working with bands. Once it gets to major label stuff, I've had an experience of it. And although it's like really exciting, it's not actually that much fun. Mm. what is super fun is to be working with those bands that are like trying to break through i think that's where i can offer the best service and and i'm norm and now that means i'll be working with independent record labels which is way more fun than major labels one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So yeah. what is the process for a band if they're looking to work with you? How does it work? Do they give you a call <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh well phone calls are terrifying i don't like i don't know what happened but when my phone rings i now basically like mute it or run away from it or whatever um i rely very much on email so i have i have a number of hats as i've as you probably gathered yeah. one like as the studio owner i have like the ranch email account which is you know you might find bands being like hey we want to record an ep you want to cut a demo want to do this want to do that and that's like okay cool i can book there and there's like either that can be engineered by me or we have staff engineers shout out kurt and dom this is like for me the the best thing i've the, my biggest achievement is that i can actually have i've got uh, we've got an, we've got employees so, yeah, job that's so cool and uh that's like makes me feel super good i feel great that i've managed to give someone a job it's or like we've got to the point where we can employ someone. Super cool, mega proud of that. So, you know, if that, if that email comes in, yeah, we can facilitate that. If it's like, hey, I love the record, I love this record, you know, pick a band. I'd like to work with Neil or Lewis who produced it. Then obviously we kind of like direct that to the party responsible. That yeah. We have another engineer called Daily, um, Daily George, who works out there. He does a lot of punk rock stuff. So, And then for the actual producer hat kind of stuff, I have a manager, um, shout out Gareth. Yeah, he basically looks after anything which needs an adult to look after it goes to Gareth. Okay, yeah, um, I, yeah. I get that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm too chaotic to, and and I do myself out of so much money because I'm just like, hey, I'll, yeah, I'll cut your deal, no worries. What? How much money have you got? Yeah, that'll do. That's kind of my nature with it. Also, having someone that can be like. If it has to deal with a record label, it's great to have someone that knows how to talk to a record label yep. and not have like a panic attack at trying to ask to get paid, <laughs> which has it's actually happened. It's the hard thing to do. <laughs> it's do you work in? Um, I don't know what you actually do, but yeah, do you... I, it's not. No, I don't have to. I don't have to request. But I have been in positions before where yeah. I've had to ask, and it's a oh, it's very horrible. hard thing to do. It's yeah, it it, it genuinely brings me out in you know like anxious uh, an anxious mess which is crazy because if someone says hey this is much this is how much it costs i'll be like okay cool and yeah. pay for it but why when it's shoes on the other foot i just freak out and struggle to yeah so what's you know. the sort of average length of band works with you say they're doing a three-track ep or something like i don't even know if the bands still do three yeah yeah anymore, so but. the the rule of thumb i use with bands it, it's you know there's a million ways to do it but i kind of say like start with a song a day Mm-hmm. that's that's like a good level you'll get everything done and then if you can go if you can improve that ratio to 1.5 days per song two days per song it gives you room to experiment and relax and you know if if there's a bit you're struggling with you can say well we'll put a pin in it and come back to it because we've got time so i've done records i've done uh, so i did the boston manor record in like eight days well what which is hang on sorry i i'm i feel very out of the loop which boston manor record did you do Oh, so I did I did um the EP Sodad and then I nice. did the album Be Nothing. Yeah, that's that's my favourite record that they've done. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah I, I did. I've, the change of direction is nice, but that, that was the one that got me into them, that album. Yeah. So I I produced that record and it's mixed well by done. a guy called Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> um mixed by a guy called Carl Black. So I, I I mean I'm credited as producer, but Kyle definitely had an influence on it as well. So I, I definitely would acknowledge that. He's he's very like he's Mr. Pop Punk like mix kind of guy and mm. he he's got some great ideas for how things can go. So um although we didn't collaborate together, I think we collaborated through the band. Okay. Um so it does say me as producer, but yeah. Big big shout out to Carl Black for for he did a cracking job mixing it as well. I think it sounds really exciting and but though I mean they are brilliant. They're a brilliant band. Undoubtedly, like they're, I do like the so new good. stuff, but that is that and it's not me being elitist. It's just it's more my my kind of sure. music that yeah. I enjoy is that is that is that being off an album. Whereas they're, yeah. they're in a slightly different direction now, which I still like. But mm. being nothing is the pinnacle. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean they're one of those bands that like you don't need to do too much work. They right. have a vision. They can play it, you know. Like they they're going to take input on board without a doubt. And but I just an absolute pleasure to work with them. Such nice, talented people. And seeing them do well is like, even though I haven't had anything to do with their last 
two records is like super you know i get that kind of like proud dad yeah, buzz when i when i see that when i see their streaming figures and stuff it's like whoa it's <laughs> so good i think the ep we did in like four days or something insane and then the album we in my mind it's like eight days but it might have been 10 but still for an album which is i mean you've obviously you've listed a lot there's a lot going on yeah yeah there's a ton of stuff going on so that was you know we worked really really hard on that so i mean anywhere from one point eight days per song to two days per song is great my bezies from tel aviv that are coming over we're spending mm-hmm. we're doing three weeks on 10 songs i think okay so nice sort of big chunk of time to experiment kind big of. chunk of time yeah. and because we became like such tight friends when they nice. came over last time we just all want to hang out basically well, why not? so <laughs> initially they wanted to do a month and it was just gonna be yeah this is gonna be so much fun and then lockdown happened so yeah that kind of put an end to that so they don't have a money for the month so I've, I've kind of like wrung every penny i can out of the the discounts i can do to make sure they can afford to be there for at least three weeks so we get two weeks recording and a third week basically having a drink nice. <laughs> eating eating uh they when they were the, in the studio uh this is a this is like totally off topic but it's a lovely anecdote no, so your, av- your average band you know because we have two studios we quite often have two bands in and then never the twain shall meet. They just don't <laughs> talk to each other. That does happen. There is community. But when when those guys are there, Bear Dreams from Tel Aviv, uh, they basically would come in to the studio, the other studio, and be like knocking on the door, be like, hey, guys, it's lunchtime. Stop. We've made everyone lunch. Come wow. on out. And we've got like a little, you know, like table and chairs outside. And they'd basically put a spread out. They'd go and cook a spread for everyone. And pretty much every day of the session we had, they'd cooked for everyone. Wow, so and cool. It, it was so lovely. Um, just, I mean, I love meeting people from different cultures and uh, I'm privileged in that I have got to work with people from all, all these different places that are 99% of the time it's been a great experience, but that was for me just the best experience. So what I think the other band that were in were from Italy at the time wow. and they did not have a clue what was going on. <laughs> like these, these like Israeli dudes were like, stop recording, stop recording, it's lunchtime, you know. And <laughs> I like that regimented day because you, th- you get... You get the impression, I think, as, a, as someone that has nothing to do with the recording process at all, you get the impression that these recording sessions just are very avant-garde and they just go on forever and there's not really a structure to it. <laughs> so I like the idea that this band are coming in and going like, nope. Nope, exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> we don't, I mean, we don't take breaks really. Like it's mm. not something that, there'll be a point where like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk or whatever, or I'm going to go outside and go make a coffee or whatever, hang around outside. Or if you smoke, you smoke, whatever. But it's rare to be like, right, that's lunch. Um, so to have it enforced, <laughs> it was really fun. And on the yeah, on like one of the last nights, it was um, oh god, I'm going to get in trouble trying to say this now. It's Shab- Shabbat, I think it was yep. what, what they call it, a Friday night kind of thing. Yeah. And they did the whole the whole thing. Uh, they like wow. brought me into it, and I don't think any of them were practicing at all. But they, it, I guess they would do it with their family at home, and they yes. were like, "Right, Neil, we're going to do this." So That's they cooked. So, so they, awesome. It was brilliant. I love they, that. It, it was amazing. They did the they did the like prayers in Hebrew, and uh, they put they put on amazing like Israeli folk music on in the background <laughs> on YouTube, and you know like how we had wine and food and stuff. It was just yeah. That is, like, that I, is nice. I feel misty thinking back. It was such a nice experience. You know? Not long now, they'll be back. <laughs> Not long, and they'll be back. I'll be reunited with my brothers. Yeah. So, as a noob, so when you when the band is recording, do you then take the recording and mix after, or is it a mix as you go, or how does that process work? It's different every time. Okay, that's not a helpful question, then, is it? <laughs> but on average, the the average session will be we kind of point the session in the direction we want it to end up right but mixing is very much done as like its own thing that i would say that's the consistent thing so you kind of want to get things sounding cool as you go because it's more exciting mm-hmm. so bands feel better when their record sounds great you play better when it sounds better in your headphones a bit of eq a bit of compression a bit of this and that to make things sound exciting in their headphones probably over the top if yeah. anything so that they feel like it's uh you know pumping in their headphones or that kind of stuff and if you leave everything natural, you get you can see worry beads forming that it's not sounding great. So you got to do a bit. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you just yeah mix as you go. Hundred percent. The the project I'm currently working on, um, we've 
at the end of last week we'd finished five songs of 10 i think we okay. we kind of we got everything so we did drums and bass together then we did all the all the main guitars and then we kind of like right now we're going to do a song by song and we're going to do all the like frilly bits and all the vocals so monday we're doing that song tuesday we're doing that song wednesday we're doing that song so when the artist went home we had five songs and i said you know i'm going to mix a couple of them in the little break we've got so i think it was monday this week i went in and mixed the song and it was pretty much already there Wow. So it was maybe an hour and a half to bring it up to the standard I wanted it to be at, to, to do some of the stuff that had been on my mind, like, oh, it's going to sound really cool when I do this, or, you know, stick delay here, or, you know, do this kind of trick here. Um, so it came together really quickly because we had been trying to shape it as we went. Awesome. But a- another day it'd be like, I'm in there all day mixing one song because <laughs> because yeah. we didn't do anything. We're too busy to do it. So. <laughs> Yeah. So it largely depends band to band, situation to situation. Yeah, yeah. There'll be some times where you, you're really up against it and you, you can't possibly take time to make sure everything sounds great. You know, I mean, you make sure everything sounds great as you hit record, but like that's only half the battle once it's recorded and they want it to sound like, you know, insert platinum selling record here. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> then you know like in the number of times i've i've had like a one day session to do a song it's like what do you want to sound like it's like well we like paramore so can we make it sound like, like they probably spent about three months making that record you've given me eight hours like, so what is this is an aside question you may not be able to answer it which is fine but what is the time been where a band has come to you as with a reference point that's taken you back and you you've just not expected oh. that to be the reference point oh all the time oh, really all the time yeah it happens so frequently bands bless them love them musicians obviously love them dearly despite you know making me go bald prematurely <laughs> but quite often it'll be the last thing they heard like right. oh we want it to sound like this it's like well you sound like megadeth and that was paramore like <laughs> you know yeah but i really like the vibe of it it's like if i did that to your your song it would sound terrible so sometimes you have to just be like i totally get it and then not do it at all um yeah because fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm letting in, letting you in on all the secrets, but um, sometimes you just ignore them because ultimately it's a bad idea and not, you don't want to have to say it out loud. But the session, that session I'm referring to, the one I was mixing this week, yep. we have like a <laughs> a mood board. Okay. So we have like a, a Spotify playlist, plus we have like some imagery kind of stuff that we had talked about. I know the imagery of the project as it's going to launch. Some of it's taken from movies, some of it's taken from TV shows, some of it's taken from, you know, classic uh, bands. So this is kind of like the band sounds a bit like Death From Above or um, Royal Blood or something like that. But it also, like song-wise, you can really hear Joshua Tree U2. Wow. Which is a weird shout. Yep. And not a cool band. And um, yeah. Yeah, the bit, the, but the really, really big influence, and my brain has gone blank, is um, Fleetwood Mac. And it's really funny because when you can listen to it and be like, it's a riffy rock record, but when you go like and listen to this bit here, it's like, holy shit, that, that's really Fleetwood Mac. That's so cool because that, yeah. that makes it sound so much more artistic. Yeah, I much mean, more arty than music, which obviously it's all creative, it's all artistic, so I don't want to sound like I'm just. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, a lot of music is, um, I think the term's bricolage, which is where you kind of like take bit, you're like a mm. pigeon, a pigeon, but I don't know, you're you're some kind of bird that steals shit for its nest, you know. Yeah. Um, you take bits from here and there. And, why not a pigeon? A pigeon? Why not? Yeah, a pigeon. Yeah, I don't even know if they have nests. <laughs> um, but you kind of take what you like from all forms of media and you yeah. put it together. So a lot of unconscious thievery happens. Yeah. Sometimes it is conscious, um, but mostly it's like. When you're listening to references, you're like, oh, now I hear where that idea has come from. Like, unconscious or not, you can kind of hear it. Quite often you get these very strange uh, reference points. Creeper would be a really good example of that, where on the first day of making their album, they uh, will turn up with a a Want to Believe poster and a portrait of Nick Cage. uh, Nick Cage, not not (laughs) Nick Nick Cage, (laughs) Nick Cave. I knew who you meant, but I was like, Nick Cage is a very different image. (laughs) Very different. So we had the UFO poster up, we had the Nick Cave uh, portrait up, we had uh, a meatloaf blaring at every opportunity, and then we made a record that sounds like Alkaline Trio. But, (laughs) but, you know, they were really, like, genuinely, that was the thing, like, X-Files plus Nick Cave plus 
uh, meatloaf plus alkaline trio was was the vision and that was what we checked in on all the time so there was like a could we make it sound more like meatloaf how could we do that so let's put some piano in there get a choir in there let's do this do you know that that was the kind of influence i don't really know where the x-files thing came from i kind of just humored it and put it up on the wall you say that but then i get it <laughs> Well, he's that Will is obsessed with uh, aliens, so I think it's just one of his interests. I mean, the origins of that band—I'm not sure I'm supposed to be able to supposed to tell people this, but hey, I'm going to. Was originally Will wrote a alien space opera, so it was a musical theatre oh, okay. opera kind of thing, and all the songs about, uh, yeah, like UFO uh, abduction. <laughs> and I remember him t- talking to me about this, and I was thinking, "You are absolutely off your rocker." They um, did the whole missing person. They did the missing person, thing, which thing, I think yeah. fits in with that. Like you can understand that it's not totally. It does yeah. sound strange, but it's not. It's not too far from where they've gone. They've just gone <laughs> in a different soundscape, I guess. Yeah. So basically, anything grandiose, anything slightly wacky, off kilter, aliens, devils, ghouls, witches, anything like that. Yum. They love it. So uh, they're essentially they... a real life ghost stories band. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that, yeah. Exactly that. So um yeah, that I mean that but in terms of your references, there you go. Like the references for the Creeper record were, you know, basically really really out there for what I think at the start was uh, you know, people would consider a punk rock record. Yeah. Well, not really because we spent the whole time listening to Meat Life. So That's that's just incredible. And it it's surprising, but it doesn't surprise me if that makes sense, which is no, obviously I, the dumbest sentence ever. But I think you can hear it, like you can hear like that's the that is. Although we're you know it's three chord punk rock, like you can hear the drama and the theatre and the over the topness and like the new stuff. Like Bowie's clearly been the the yeah, big influence, yeah. like without a doubt. Like they, I mean, as long as I've known Will Meatloaf, Bowie, all that stuff's been his like his real obsessions. So and I think it, that drama sort of explains why they have such a devotion in their fans as well like oh yeah 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 so the, their fans are obsessive um i've met like like some of the core the core of that they call themselves the creeper cult which yeah. is cute you know it's really cool i've met like because <laughs> um abusing my position of power when they started getting big i was like hey can my band support you guys <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so we just you know rode their coattails to a few shows in london just because you know we could basically yeah. and yeah we met some of their like obsessive fans there and the looks on their faces when we were playing they would just look like you old men are disgusting me get off the stage <laughs> so i saw and this is a random anecdote that you don't need but i actually saw a creeper cult patch before i knew who the band were oh, and i thought amazing. it was a fashion brand <laughs> wow that's amazing i mean it is essentially like the whole thing yeah. is like a cool brand it's like a gang isn't it like that's the whole thing that's, um, that's really cool yeah it's very cool like i've i was really it, being involved in that was so much fun so much fun seeing this kind of like fan base literally frothing at the mouth to get to hear stuff you know absolutely amazing experience so who have you worked with most recently that you can tell us about um so oh god well lockdown kind of screwed everything up as you can imagine it's hard to record yeah <laughs> in lockdown um the last project i was working on that i was oh i was supposed to do some more stuff with nervous i don't know if you've heard nervous no they're great they're like a really cool punk rock band really like great melodies and stuff but they had to obviously we had to cancel it because of all that stuff so the last band that i was producing was a band called social contract okay not social distance as i repeatedly (laughs) called them and they are like a cool enemy fave kind of up-and-coming indie rock band but the the fun twist is they're all absolute metalheads. Oh wow! They all turn they all turn up in like Slipknot t shirts and stuff. But they play like really cool jangly, like uh, a bit like Interpol goes. Oh yeah, okay. Bit bit more Britishy kind of Interpol thing, post punky kind of thing. But they're all metalheads, so they're all obsessed with like one of them's got a big mullet. Like uh, <laughs> they're all obsessed with like you know. Like Although Slipknot. I can see Enemy loving that. Yeah. Oh yeah. No <laughs> doubt. They they look fantastic. They're all like really good looking dudes that dress cool and all that stuff. Um, they are brilliant. They're gonna. I think they're gonna do pretty well. That what I love about them is they they're like proper classic rock. As in, they're like, oh, we want if we could, we'd just record everything live in one take. Oh no, that's that's what we'd <laughs> love to do. But they know the realities of like yeah. you you need you know you need to be so well rehearsed because a lot of it's that kind of 
my bloody Valentine sprawling feedback yep. drenched guitar and stuff. So if you're doing that and you're trying to get a good take of drums and all you can hear is like feedback and droning and all that kind of stuff, you're going to be very unpopular. Yes. Um, yeah prior to that so i would i would actually say i'm in terms of my production i'm having a slightly quieter year than last year so i've done a lot of engineering on stuff and mixing on stuff but in terms of producing oh i'll tell you what i'll give if i I can do a shout out there's a band i love called tirade who don't have much profile at all but they are so good they are one of the they are like a band that take my breath away every time i hear them they get better and better and better they're about 21 22 21 so very young they've only been going a couple of years um but they're one of those bands i hear and i'm like whoa this could be enormous like if the right person heard this this would you know they have a bit of a don broco that kind of thing but funky like 1975 kind of super poppy oh, wow, funky okay. kind of thing that the, and just the musicianship is next level which i know you know it's not like buy the new record by this band they're really good musicians that's not going to sell an album anymore but like for me to record it's so easy they're just brilliant at their instruments and yeah and there's, um, there's something about good musician musicianship oh, to I a love certain it. type of audience anyway do you know what i mean like yeah yeah i just think about they, like coed and cambria for me that is like the one that i mm. and they're probably not for normal musicians but i just every oh, time i, I watch them i'm just it, in yeah. awe of them yeah and um the, the 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 thing i'm doing at the moment is my current passion project with a band called family man who are like a brand new band they have they've only got one song you can hear okay um it's on spotify i think it's i think it's on spotify it's called vault um and this came about i got an email out of the blue being like hey neil we want to work with you on a new project and that we're called bucks with three x's um, which immediately was like that is a terrible band name and hope you hope you listen to our demos rock on man it was like the worst email i've ever received essentially <laughs> and i kind of was like right i put that in i'm going to look at it later i'm not going to deal with that right now this is going to be crap and it wasn't it was absolutely amazing <laughs> uh, it, it sounds something like queens of the stone age nine inch nails really hooky insidious oh, okay. hooks but very weird a really unusual band I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend you if you're a Muse fan, but I don't like Muse. No, I don't like Muse either. But if I had to say a band they were closest to, it probably would be Muse. Oh, okay. But all the right things yeah. instead of all the wrong things. Okay. Just great grooves, great hooks, and it's weird, and it's like cool, and they're all about six foot four, and they all look super handsome, and they all wear cool clothes. Like they just a complete package essentially. And you managed to, they managed to change their name as well. <laughs> and I got to change their name. <laughs> listen, listen, guys, we need to have a chat. Um, I love what you're doing, but I'm not working with any band called that name. <laughs> I think we actually went for a pint to be like you know sometimes before you work with the band, yeah. Especially if you if you think like, well, this is there's going to be like simpatico with what I want to do and what they want to do, and that's I heard that and was like. Nine Nails tick, Queens of Stone tick, like kind of thing. Yeah. Um, let's have an actual face-to-face chat and see whether we kind of vibe and see what the, you know, she could meet, they could go in on day one and be like, oh no, they I, they hate me or whatever. So we went for a drink and we just got on really well straight away. And um, I think at the end of that, I was emboldened by my half of Shandy or whatever I had. And I said, listen, guys, your name is terrible. We have to change that immediately. Like, you tell me to piss off if you want, but that's a hill i'll die on your name is dreadful and they listened and they listened <laughs> sounds so, like people yeah. you want to work with then doesn't it <laughs> exactly yeah so i'm currently that's what i'm working on at the moment it's some new material with them so yeah. every day is a fun day basically that's awesome now you also have a podcast don't you i do yeah it's very much in its infancy it started mainly because uh, i guess like i'm a white male over uh, 40 so it's the right thing to do you know um no it started because i realized i had this brilliant access to loads of musicians and producers yeah. and people i knew um and quite often when i'm in the studio a lot a lot of people kind of say like when you're in studio you only see the back of someone's head and although all the photos of me on the internet are the back of my head which to be fair probably is the best side of my head i quite like turning around and having a chat and kind of i, I want to have fun as well i yeah. want to get to know people and kind of like you know have a, some kind of like um badinage between me and the the band and banter or whatever and 
I realized like I could probably just record this and it might not suck. Uh, and if I kind of put it into a bit of a format of like asking questions and getting people to ask me questions and you kind of get this fun back and forth. Uh, and one thing I always did, and this is where I think that they are kind of like timelines align yeah. is um, the question I always used to ask is, have you ever seen a ghost? Or can you tell me a ghost story? So while I'm editing drums or doing whatever, I'll be like, tell me a ghost story. And I heard so many amazing ghost stories through the years of like bands just telling me these like mad ghost stories I have. I started thinking I should really like, maybe I could kind of marry that into it because weirdly my, my, one of my real like obsessions is uh, I love ghost stories. I absolutely love them. I that's can't cool. get enough ghost stories. So that's tying in with my podcast, you know, 80% of the time we're chatting about recording and music and blah, blah, blah. But the last question I ask is always, you know, have you seen a ghost? Yeah. Do you have a, a spooky tale to tell? Or, you know, maybe we'll talk about conspiracy theories. Everyone loves a conspiracy theory in the studio. Or we'll talk about, you know, like so, something like that. You know. Yeah. So conspiracy theories come up a lot in the studio. Um, sometimes more insane than others. Um, <laughs> one I had recently was that COVID was... Uh, a, like a designed thing and the reason you could tell is because x y and z and i kind of looked to the stats and none of it bore out in the slightest <laughs> and i said i mean clearly that's not true it's like yeah that's what they want you to think yeah of course that's the, um, that's the nice thing about conspiracies isn't <laughs> exactly. it because if, it, if you don't have any facts or anything to marry them up you can always just say yeah yeah but that's what they want you to think that's what they want you to think so um yeah, so yeah, I just started doing this, and I think the first one I did was last summer, and it was the the band I mentioned earlier, Nervous. I had a, mm. I had a chat with them because they are hilarious. Their their um, <laughs> their their front person is um, a woman called M, who is just so funny and just just brilliant value to be around all the time. And her sort of relationship with the keyboard player Paul, like the two of them are like just a proper comedy duo. Like he he's the sort of dry one, she's the like loud you know sort of like over the top one and they're kind of like their their kind of relationships so funny that's cool so yeah we had a chat and it was about three hours long <laughs> cut, <laughs> cut it down to 45 minutes so a lot of it was just us rambling on about stuff but um yeah and then i did that and i think when lockdown happened i thought right now's my chance to actually edit these together i think i'd recorded about eight yeah and i started editing the editing them down some of them couldn't really be salvaged one of them was just the band was so pissed when they did it that it was just i mean it, it was so libelous that um i couldn't possibly have put it out with my name anywhere near it some yeah. of the stuff they said was outrageous so um so then i started being well i'm in lockdown i can do a zoom chat with someone or you know record it in logic or whatever yeah. and yeah so i just basically chatting to some old powers and some got to chat to um my friends in departures which is yeah, how we, we started so chatting cool. a bit more <laughs> so danny and um james in departures we had a basically when i put the first one up i was like oh if anyone wants to do one you know any bands i've worked with any any like creatives like get in touch and danny sent me a message saying we'd be well up for it like it'd be good to have a catch-up so we just had basically had a zoom chat and a catch-up and then spent two hours doing that and edited it down into a little podcast so i um, absolutely recommend you guys checking it out as a listen because it's, it's it's really engaging it is a really engaging listen and i oh, actually thanks. heard about it from emma who told me that you asked that question at the end of your podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, I've got to listen to this because it's something I'm really interested in. And you ask a question that's very similar to what we do in our other podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it was cool. It was very cool. Yeah, it's called um, it's called content. And the, the sort of joke is that we, me and Lewis, the, one of the other engineers at the studio, um, whenever we put stuff up online, like photos or like, hey, today I did this with the microphone, we take the piss out of each other going like, nice content, mate. Like, <laughs> you know, because it, that's one thing I really am terrible at is social media with um, sort of consistently putting up interesting stuff to try and engage with people. I'm kind of a bit cynical about it and I don't have the energy that, you know, um, other people do for it. So we, yeah, take the mickey out of each other. Like, yeah, sweet hashtag content. You know? <laughs> uh, and then I kind of said, like, I'm going to call the, the podcast content. And it's just like a crap private joke just between me and one other person. But it kind of stuck. Works really um, well. Yeah, so we've got, I think um, I put the 11th episode up today. You did, because I just checked yeah. before I went on, because I was yeah, going to cool. say that. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's the 11th one. And I've already pre-recorded like three or four other ones as well. So there'll, there'll be at least a few more. But I have to say, since going back to work, it's been harder to yeah. to, to do it. And I've relied more on yeah, um, 
Kurt, the studio engineer, been like, mate, is there any way you can edit this for me instead of <laughs> instead of doing your actual job? Well, to be fair, that's kind of what I'm doing with Emma at the moment. So. <laughs> um, Neil, thank you so much for your time this evening. I really it's appreciate been a pleasure. it. It's nice. been an absolute um, nerd's joy for me this end, <laughs> being able to listen to to who you've worked with and the things oh, that you do. Wicked. Um, well, thanks again in touch. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And it's been, yeah, nice to have a chat with you, Dan. Excellent. I always give um, my guests a little chance to have a little plug shout out at the oh, end God. if there's anything you want to do. So over to oh. you. Um, I don't really have a SoundCloud to uh, to punt. Yeah, I don't know. Well, my studio is uh, the Ranch Production House. So ranchproductions.co.uk will get you there. The Ranch on Ranch Productions on Instagram. Um that's about all I've got, really. I do, I, I do make my own music under the name Ghost Cub, okay. um, and you can, you know, have a listen there and, yeah, sort of help help me get over any kind of like lasting anxieties about whether I'm still relevant as a musician by, um, <laughs> you know, sending me praise. Uh, but no, that's all I've got, really. Just very happy to to be in a situation where I can have a chat with nice people like you about what I do. It's brilliant. I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much. I will put the links up in the description of this show. And until next time, see you later. Cheers. Thanks very much. Massive thank you to Neil for talking to me about what he does. As you probably heard, it was a big geek out for me and I really enjoyed it. Make sure you check out his podcast and the bands he mentioned in the episode. In the next episode, the final one of the season, I'm joined by members of the Dixie Pole podcast where we talk about the misconceptions around people from the Deep South. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.